Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So does God have favorites? Uh, let me ask you this. Hey, you parents, do you have favorites among your children? And everybody would say, no, no, no. And Matt Friedman says, yes, yes, yes. Of course I have favorites. I forget when it was. I, I don't know who the kid was, but uh, I was sitting in my chair. Uh, well, the greatest place in the world to be is, is Matt Friedman's easy chair. And there I was. And it was a tough day. And uh, I, uh, I got my feet propped up. And uh, my wife Mary says, hey, and, and name one of the kids. I don't know. Uh, hey, Hannah, hey, Elijah, hey, Zeke, I don't know, one of the kids and says, go rub dad's feet. Oh, wow, my feet were tired. My feet were, so there they are rubbing my feet. And I remember looking down at them, the first time I ever said it, I said, you know, Hannah, you're my favorite child. <laughs> ever since, when they're doing something sweet, something kind, something interesting, I just say to them, hey, you're my favorite it's kind of a family joke. So I want you to know, my favorite child in the Freedom family is Joshua Freedom, because he is at this church helping Dad out. Round of applause for my favorite child. So I once asked my mother, okay, uh, Mom, who's your favorite child? I didn't know what she's going to say. I think I know, but let me just see what she says. So I said, well, she says, I, I can tell you who my funnest child was. I said, who? He says, you. You are a funnest child. You're always in choirs and shows and, and uh, going off to athletic things. He's just a fun kid. I thought, yeah, that must mean favorite. And whether she said it or not, I believe I was. Anyway, that's, that's mom's favorite kid. I, uh, I, I got to tell you, I think there's something to this uh, favorite thing that is serious, some of it that is dangerous. Uh, I did something yesterday. Uh, it was kind of, I think, a little late in the afternoon when I decided, let me post something to see if I can get some Facebook help. So I went and said on my Facebook page, uh, help me out with sermon prep. Does God have favorites? Just to see what they, people would say. Now, you know, if you get like 20 comments on something, that's pretty good. 50 comments, wow, it's a boom day. Uh, as of right now, I don't know what it is, but uh, when I left for church this morning, it was 152 comments. People wanted to weigh in. All the way from how dare you even ask the question. In fact, one of my, one of my uh, theological friends from Australia said, well, it's the kind of question someone asks if they worship Zeus. Really? I said, as someone who worships Zeus, this really offends me. <laughs> I decided just to write back to him, have fun with him. But y- y- y'all, that was an interesting, 150 things. So let me, let me share a couple of... Uh, the responses. A former student wrote this. It's amazing the theology uncovered by this question. I find a case can be made for divine favoritism. Abel found favor over Cain. Noah found favor over others. I love Jacob. I hate Esau. Anybody remember that? Abraham found great favor, which passed Isaac. Uh, David found favor over his brothers. The Jewish nation got favor because Abraham got favor. Uh, By the way, I would add to that one thing. Greetings, Mary, highly favored one. Remember that line? Then a friend named Jeff said this, God declared there'd be no one on earth like Job. Elijah and Enoch never had to experience death. In Genesis, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people's time, 
and he walked with God. In fact, he found so much favor, Dr. Friedelman, that in the eyes of the Lord, he and his family were the only ones allowed to live through the flood. Could these be some favorites? I find that very provocative stuff right there. So does God have favorites? Hmm. Now, to be sure, we don't like the question because we understand human favoritism. And there's a difference between human favoritism and God's favoritism, assuming there is such a thing. Human favoritism usually includes, hey, let's treat this person better. Let's decrease their responsibility. Let's give them a higher social standing. In fact, let's sit them down in an easy chair and give them a foot rub. That's the world's definition of favoritism. God's idea of favoritism includes not necessarily an easy life, increased work, maybe even difficulties, maybe even martyrdom. It requires greater responsibility, working and walking out the callings that God has for you, the favored one. Now, there's no question. There is a favoritism that is straight up wrong, just straight up wrong. And Joseph read about this morning. Our reading from James today says, who we tend to like most, oh, I don't know, let's just say, uh, since it was in the news this week, let's say the governor walks in the door. We all start whispering and say, man, it's pretty cool, the governor's here today. Well, it's pretty neat. And we'd all think, whoa, and we'd all line up to shake his hand. God doesn't like that. Particularly when we want to shake his hand, and the homeless guy that walked in, we're trying to think, how can we get him out of here? He smells a little bit. How can we work this guy out of the program because he's sort of in the way, he's not quite up to the middle class that we are? There's something wrong here. And the Lord says, not good. Our reading from James today talks about the human penchant to show favoritism to those with nice, nice clothes, college education, cologne and perfume, and good social standing. We tend to like those people. And if they're powerful, woo, we really like them. But Jesus, when he began his ministry, headed for his apparent favorite ones, the diseased, the scandalous, the demon-possessed, the hated, the margins of culture. I believe he says today, if you want to be favored, so-called, follow me. And that's where you'll find me. That's where you'll have a relationship with me as we serve the dispossessed, the disenfranchised, the down and out, the poor and the oppressed. Now, could it be noted? Certainly it can be. But God's favorites are His children today. You. Today. You. Purchased through the blood of His Son. As we follow Jesus, God's favor follows us. But y'all, that doesn't necessarily mean an easier lifestyle. Doesn't necessarily mean a bigger house. More of a car. It doesn't necessarily mean so many of the things that goes along with the world's favoritism. What it means is that God has chosen us because there's something out there He needs and He wants for us to do. It may be difficult, it may be hard, it may be impossible, and it may get us killed. But favoritism rolls out that way biblically. When we're God's favorite, we know He is always with us, however, and reward us for everything done for Him. So we read from James, watch out for favoritism, watch out. But we also read Abram. Abram was favored. So God, for whatever reason, plucked him out from obscurity and made of him a nation 
that would be the springboard for the Jesus movement. In fact, he says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and then Jesus is going to come through that nation, and Pentecost will come some weeks after that, and from Pentecost, we're going to take the Roman Empire, and after we're done taking the Roman Empire, we're going to go to places like Clinton, Mississippi. (laughs) And that's what favoritism means for the Lord. Abram knew from the get-go there was a price to be a favorite. Abram had to leave his country. He had to leave his relatives. He had to leave his family wealth, and he had to head out on a journey that he had little inkling about. You say, yeah, 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 yeah. I heard about that one time. Just put yourself in the shoes here, okay? So let's just say this. I don't know, let's, let's, let's go here, Miss Shirley. Shirley, uh, you're my favorite one for this mission. Shirley, I need your eyes. You're my favorite one for this mission, all right? And that means I want you to leave the United States of America. So I said, left this country, right? Well, guess what? We got a country. Leave the United States. Uh, uh, head that direction. Get on a boat, get on a ship, go wherever, but leave, just go. You say, where am I going? I can't tell you that, just go. I got a special thing I need for you to do over yonder. Then he says, "Uh, you'll never see your mom and dad again, and or uncle again. You'll never see your relatives again. And Shirley, I want you to leave your multi-million dollar inheritance, and I'm going to let you know moment by moment what I need next. By the way, I'm not going to tell you now about that knife that's going to go through your only child's heart. I'm going to ask you to do that someday, Shirley. I won't tell you about it now. Feel like a favorite? That's favoritism biblically. And everyone here is called to be a favorite person. Everyone here is called to say, I'll say yes, sir, to Jesus, no matter what he wants no matter where he wants me to go, no matter what he wants me to do, I'm going to tell you, Jesus apparently had favorites. There were thousands, thousands of teeming people that wanted to touch him. He chose just 12 of them to hang out with him, and he's going to do a special download of his life into those 12. And then there were three within the 12 that apparently had even a a more intimate level of relationship with, Peter, James, and John. And then one of those guys hauls off, and no one really argues with him. Hey, for whatever it's worth, everybody kind of knows it, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He describes himself like that way in the gospel. The gospel of John. So apparently, there are favorites even in Jesus' circle. But favoritism would mean this. John, you're going to be the last guy standing. You're going to be exiled to Patmos, and I'm going to have you, I'm going to give you a little vision. I want you to share with everybody. By the way, They'll argue about that vision for 2,000 plus years, and no one will ever quite understand it, and they're going to ask, what in the world did he mean by that? John, that's my vision for your life. By the way, go ahead and write some other epistles, first, second, third, that'd be be good too. That's what I got for you, buddy. And uh, the rest of you yahoos, you're going to die. You're going to be martyred. You're going to be murdered because of me. What did favoritism mean? Same thing it means for us. I want you to sign on for my program. If you do, your best days are yet to come, but I can't promise you they're going to be easy days. I can't promise you won't bleed and die. I can't promise anything other than myself. 
Oh, favored one, say yes. And he says it to you today. Say yes. So uh, this morning, I woke up, and I do what I always do. Uh, one of the things I changed a little bit this morning, however, is I got something called morning routine, about eight things that I do when I wake up get out of bed. First thing that I try to do, and i got to tell you, this kind of changed my life. What's to, I write three things down I'm thankful for. Whatever I can find. Thankful for that, thankful for this, thankful for that. I thought I was a pretty holy guy by doing that. It has changed my life. I was with Billy last night, and uh, Billy said, he doesn't even know about my morning routine. He said, uh, Billy said, yeah, you know, I started doing something in prison that saved me. I said, well, what was it? He says, well, he says, uh, I used to wake up, and before I'd even get out of bed, I'd just think of 25 things I'm thankful for. I thought, dude, you holy. I'm trying to be holy. You know something? So I changed this morning. I got the Billy. I got about ten or eleven. I start running out, man. You got to teach me how to give Thanksgiving. I bet you give Thanksgiving for all kinds of things. You know, we ought to give thanks for that I can breathe. I got good use of my hands. I can actually see. All kinds of great things you're thankful for. But I noticed this morning, Billy, after I gave thanks, and I ran out at 11 or 12, I was embarrassed. But after I started, I started rolling around my house feeling good about life. Y'all, pretty cool thing to do for a morning routine. One of the things I do for a morning routine is I uh, actually have this little book called A Collection of Hymns for the Use of the People Called Methodists by the Reverend John Wesley, M.A., sometime fellow of Lincoln College, Oxford, period. So every morning I grab this thing, and I start looking through it, and I try to find something that I have the right meter for. Now, meter is, uh, they're songs that are done by meter. And one song done in, for instance, common meter, CM, I have a list here of six songs that I could sing, tunes to that meter. So I tried to get a meter, and I said, I went down to hymn number 278. It said sevens and sixes. I thought, huh. And then I saw sevens and sixes. I think I have a sevens and six. And sure enough, I look here and it says, stand up, stand up for Jesus, and oh, sacred head now wounded. Well, those are two different kind of songs right there. So I want to I wanna go ahead and do for you right now, because I know you've all been waiting. I wish Matt would sing again in church. Yep. You know, I've been waiting for him to sing again in church. Well, surely, what are you laughing for, babe? I'm not, I'm not thankful for that right there, huh? <clears throat> Who is this gigantic foe that proudly stalks along? Sing along with me. Overlooks the crowd below in brazen arm. So what is this? It's weird. So I look up at the top and says, it says, for believers fighting. I used to have a radio show called In the Fight. I thought, ah, cool. I don't get to. Then I look, wait a minute, this is talking about. I looked at the title, David and Goliath. This is about Goliath. Who is this gigantic foe that proudly stalks along, overlooks the crowd below and brazen armor strong? Loudly of his strength he boasts, on his word and spear relies, meets the God of Israel's foes, and all their Force defies. I thought, that sounds corny to me, but let's keep reading. Verse 2, tallest of the earth-born race, they tremble at his power. 
Flee before the monster's face and own him conquer. Who this mighty champion is, nature answers from within. He is my own wickedness, my own besetting sin. He's saying Goliath is big, he's bad, he's going to beat you down. And Goliath is your sin. Goliath is your sin. I want to keep reading here. In the strength of Jesus' name, I with that monster fight. Feeble and unarmed I am. But Jesus is my might. Mindful of his mercies past, still I trust, same to prove. Still my helpless soul I cast on his redeeming love. <laughs> In other words, I got the giant within me called sin. And the only way that giant goes down is Jesus Christ fighting him until he's dead. Amen. And this is what we believe at Dayspring. You don't have to sin every day in every way. Now, if you'll just notice around this town, there's a lot of people say, you can't ever beat sin, it's always going to beat you. And what I want to say is, yeah, I got someone in my life bigger and badder than Goliath. And that person is Jesus Christ, and his all-redeeming love can put the smack down on that large Gittite, if you know what I mean. And so, when I begun to think, I put all these things together, so I'm singing this crazy song by Charles Wesley. talked about Jesus putting the beat up on Goliath, and I'm thinking, whoa, Jesus would only do that for a favored one. I'm going to come into Matt Friedemann, one of my favorites, and I'm going to put the smack down on sin and on Goliath, on that overarching, underpinning dynamic of the too big get tight, and I am going to reign supreme in Matt's life, not sin. Is that even possible? Amen. Some people say it's not possible. Sin is bigger. He is not bigger. Goliath is not bigger. In fact, that day, there's a little punk kid that came along, had three stones and went whap, 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 and that Goliath guy went down. Just like, just like sin's going to go down in your life. Oh, favored one. But this is the point. The Wesley boys didn't think he just wanted Goliath to go down in your life. The Wesley boys said, hey, there's Goliath out there at that prison. I need some guys in which Goliath went down in your life to get out to the prison and fight some Goliaths out there. Amen. I need some folks to go into John Hopkins and fight some Goliaths there. I need some folks to go to that nursing home. Yeah, no one thinks about the Goliaths that are there, but if anybody that's there that hadn't been visited by a friend or a family member for months, there's some Goliaths there too. And over and over again with the ministries we have here at Dayspring, God says there are Goliaths out there. I need for you to take those Goliaths seriously. He wants to take them seriously in you and your addiction today 
is a Goliath, but he can put the smack down on it. Your relational problem today, your marriage might be a Goliath in your life, but he can defeat the foe. Whatever your sin is, your pride, your ego, your self-referencing everything in the world, that can go down even today because he loves you that much. Amen. You are that much of a favorite one to him. And then he's going to say, by the way, I got some other favorite ones out there. Can you go to them and preach this Goliath message to them too? I had a pretty good morning, quiet time today. It just ended up not being too quiet. 